Hey Loam listeners, this is Kate, the founder of Loam, and I'm joined today by Kailea Frederick of Earth is Ohana, as well as Carrie Fugit of Daily Axe, a permaculture-based sustainability education nonprofit working to build connected, equitable, and climate-resilient communities through low-tech, low-cost, people-powered solutions. Kailea and I recently published a book, Compassion in Crisis, that explores navigating disaster And our hope is to use today's podcast as an opportunity to not only dig into our deeper why behind Compassionate Crisis, but also to learn from Carrie about what we can do to respond to crisis as the scale of self, community, and ecosystem with care and compassion. Kylie and Carrie, I am so grateful to be in conversation with you all. Thank you so much for having me. And so happy, of course, as always, to be back here with you, Kate. So, for those of you who are new, Compassion in Crisis is a study in self-sovereignty that interweaves story shares from survivors and scholars of disaster with resources for disaster preparation. As we work together to navigate climate change, our intention is that this offering will hold space for your grief, inspire you to cultivate resilience, and connect you to adaptation strategies. So many incredible people made this publication possible, and we're truly excited to share this project with you all. Kailea, I'd love uh, up first for us to talk a little bit about the backstory of Compassion in Crisis. I would love to share the backstory. It's, you know, it's been a year-long process and project, and one that I felt so quiet about for more than 50% of the time that we were working on it. And it started last November, so November of 2018. And I remember you called me and you shared that you were interested in embarking on a a creative long-form writing project with me, and you just put out this very open-ended and generous invitation to put something together, and you had asked, what is sitting in your heart right now? You know, what is it that you might want to express, um, you know, with some readers? And... I remember in that moment, I was actually standing in my kitchen. I was making some tea, um, specifically respiratory tea, and was um, still sitting underneath the haze of the Paradise Fire or the fire that took out the town of Paradise. And it had been several weeks at that point of living underneath that smoke. And at that point in time, it had been, um, you know, the, the second year in a row of living through an intense fire season here in Sonoma County. And I had just come from a conversation um, across the street with two other neighbors, two other mothers that was really oriented around this, you know, the theme of death and a lot of questions around um, what it means to raise a family right now. And I that was what I had pitched to you. I said, I, I actually really want to write something that is is coming from this like, very honest place of um, the consideration of what it might mean to, to be alive and also what it might mean to die right now. And I also want to write something that can be a resource for my community, something that um, can hopefully hold a bit of the fear and the anxiety around living through crisis. And so that was really the moment when um, Compassion in Crisis, as, as you know, was born. 
and that's been an incredible year of just diving into research around disaster and finding resilience again through hearing some of the stories um, of the many contributors who make this up and want to just like pass it back to you for a moment if there are like any little areas in there you wanted to fill in. Yeah, I think, I mean, I just remember feeling when you shared that idea that it was so needed right now and it was something that I needed um, in my own life having moved from New York to Colorado where suddenly the threat of wildfire was so much more real. And I was like, this is work that I need to be doing as well and and coming into conversation with this reality. And so I really remember feeling so grateful and alive and energized when you shared the seeds for that because it suddenly registered for me how for so many of us, no matter where we are in the world, this is work that we need to be in and conversations that we need to be having. And it felt like a small and powerful way to break down the barriers that we have surrounding open-hearted and real communication about what it means to live with a disaster at our door. Yeah, so for all of our listeners right now, the idea for this this interview and conversation, um, you know, it really came in because we're wanting to provide, um, I feel like this is a continuation of some of our, our table of contents. We have, um, you know, half of the book is, um, it starts out with what we call community stories. And then the other half of the book drops into some very tangible, supportive resources on how it is that you prepare, you know, the home and self and family, um, you know, emotionally, physically, for living through something and also how to resource self post a big experience. Um, but, you know, the opportunity to invite Carrie into a conversation and to really contribute in um, some very real community stories around the deep need and the deep why for, um, you know, hopefully more bodies of work like this to come into the world felt like such an opportunity. And before I turn it over to Carrie, I I wanted to just share some of the other contributors that um, are a part of Compassion in Crisis, and then we can drop into some beautiful story share from Carrie. Um, So as I had mentioned, the first part of Compassion in Crisis is these community stories, and we had the conversation to talk with Professor Lori Peek. She has a whole chapter on how language frames disaster, so really getting us to reframe the different vocabulary that we are choosing to utilize, which I found just so supportive. Um, We talked with Chris Chiesa, who is the executive director of the Pacific Disaster Center located on um, the island of Maui, where I grew up. And Chris is actually the father of one of my high school friends, Olivia. So it was really special to be able to talk with him. And he has a whole section on disaster technology and management, which really dropped us into this meta view of how people that are in the professional field of disaster are understanding these times and also starting to reorient to climate change, uh, which was just very insightful. Kate, you brought in one of your good friends, Jess Drawhorn, who uh, you know, it explores cog- cognitive dissonance in a time of crisis through flood management and really gathering data through stories from people and communities who have experienced and lived through floods. 
and uh, I had the, the opportunity to spend time with a contributor named Bori, who is someone who actually lived through Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. And that was just an incredible learning on the possibility of community resilience and uh, specifically queer resilience as Bori is a part of the queer community in her home. And also just such an eye-opener on what the people of Puerto Rico um, have had to live through and experience and the post-disaster capitalism that came in and is still truly like wreaking havoc on that community. And then we close out community stories with uh, returning and beloved contributor Waiala An, who is a native Hawaiian woman from the island of Hawaii. And she just completely like gave us a whole perspective shift on ancestral resilience and preparedness through protocol, which I have utilized so many times um, now here in our third year of intense fire seasons after the Kincaid fire coming so close to our own home and consistently asking how it is that I can create some form of um, protocol that can help me to healthily live through and also just prepare my family and my home space. Um, and then the second part of the book, as I had shared, is really all about resources, supporting self, home, and community. And I'm just feeling so excited for the book to reach my hands and your hands and all of those who are interested. And um, and I'm also really excited to have the opportunity to turn it over to Carrie and hear from Carrie on how it has been for her as a community organizer to be a part of um, these big experiences here in Sonoma County over the last three years. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kailea and Kate, for having me um, and the Loam community for being a part of co-creating a better future. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm born and raised in Sonoma County in Sebastopol, California. I currently work at Daily Acts Organization, um, who is a permaculture-based sustainability education nonprofit. And I've been a community organizer in Sonoma County through the last three disaster seasons, um, two being fires and one being floods. Um, previously working at Sonoma County Conservation Action, who is also very involved in environmental protections and land use. Um, I also am a co-coalition leader in Another World is Possible organization, and we've been working for the last three years to weave together organizations, people, passionate community leaders in all different sectors of our community um, to envision and co-create what a better future could look like across all different realms of society. So I am excited today to talk about the experience of being a community organizer through these, these last disasters, um, in particular the 2017 Tubbs fire and the most recent Kincaid fire. And to step into it was like on the ground. I was actually at a rising Appalachia concert when the Tubbs fire broke out. And I remember leaving the theater with all my friends to a sky full of smoke um, and waking up the next day to our county on fire and kind of getting in this rush of anxiety and stress and need to do something, don't know what to do, and feeling paralyzed by this desire to help 
not sure how to channel that energy, getting conflicting messages or not enough communication from our disaster response units um, about what to do. And nobody really had been through anything like this. And so there was pretty much this energy of fend for yourself and figure something out because it was beyond the scale of anything we had ever imagined in Sonoma County. Um, so I don't sit around very well. Um, and so community started kind of coming together around what do we do? Um, and our Another World is Possible Coalition got together and realized that there's a narrow window of philanthropic support in the window of disaster and the need extends for years and years and years. So we realized that one thing we could do for our community was help capture statewide, national, and even international support and resources and energy, both in the form of volunteers as well as finances, to bring into our community so that we could store it like a rainwater catchment. We had a giant downpour of philanthropy, but we needed to store it so we could distribute it for the next few years. Um, so we, one of the things we did is we created the uh, Just and Resilient Future Fund with uh, the fiscal sponsorship of the Rose Foundation in Oakland. Um, and it's a grassroots powered not, um, fund foundation for grassroots disaster response efforts. So it was a democratically decided process. There were eight nonprofits at the table across different issue areas from immigrants' rights to farmers to environment to faith-based organizations, all coming collectively together to decide how we can best support grassroots resilience recovery efforts, immediate and long-term in Sonoma County, Napa, Mendocino, and Lake County, and make sure that resources were getting into the places that were really building a better future and not just succumbing to disaster capitalism and, and business as usual. So we raised $360,000 and just finished giving that out last month, um, which was a really incredible process to go through and really opened my eyes to the power of collective collaboration and also the time and energy it takes to be in collaboration with people with different perspectives on what we should be doing. But the messiness ends up making something more beautiful in the end. Another thing we did was respond to a call to action for um, support of a, a website, a platform called recovers.org which is a really important tool to know about for anybody um, at risk of going through disaster and in the lens of how to prepare your community in advance of disaster. It's a really, really good tool to use. Um, it basically is a free virtual command center to um, connect needs, resources, and engage volunteers and communicate information that's entirely community powered. Um, so we set up a Sonoma County chapter of that, sonomacounty.recovers.org. Um, and through that, we were able to channel over $50,000 of donations directly to people who are impacted by the fires. We supported over 1,200 people. And we have a list now of 3,000 volunteers who are a community resource that we can call on as future disasters happen 
which is exactly what we've done, which is a different model than the centralized Red Cross model, um, who they do a lot of training of volunteers, but that list becomes theirs and they take it away with them when they leave. And then when the next disaster strikes, you start again and you're starting from scratch. And we don't have time to start from scratch and we don't need to start from scratch when we know what we're gonna need in advance. And so seeing the gaps and trying to fill them um, was definitely what we focused on. So we were able to mobilize those volunteers this year when they had signed up two years ago because we could hit go in 30 seconds or less. We also could communicate to people as the need continued along, following that theme of rainwater catchment. Um, Daily Acts stepped up to the need of how can we rebuild better, not just business as usual. And as part of the Coffee Park rebuild, we engaged four different homeowners to put in demonstration gardens that were low water use, native plant habitat producing, and in some case food producing, um, based on five different templates that people could use. So you've got people rebuilding who have never thought they would be designing a house, and a landscape is so secondary when you're trying to figure out how to even get a roof back over your head and it's easy to just throw in a lawn and be done with it um, but that's a really important point of leverage to be able to change how we interact with our urban open space and our water and creating habitat and eliminating pesticides if we don't just put in lawns uh, and that's one of the foundational theories of change that Daily Acts holds is that we can change the world through a garden and build community through a garden. Um, so we did that in Coffee Park. Uh, we helped create the templates, train people on the templates, and then put in four of the templates within a walking distance of each other so people can look at these model sites and taste it and touch it and feel it and smell it and sit in it and see what it's like and maybe it's something they want to do. Um, but that took us two years to organize, and we were able to call on the volunteers who signed up in the heat of the moment of the Tubbs fire to come help us install those gardens in a day. And they came up from the South Bay, from the East Bay, a year and a half after the fires to do 600 plants in a day and transform these landscapes into a thriving, beautiful garden. Um, and that's a community asset that is really important to think about in advance um, so that we can call on each other. And another thing we did um, from the environmental perspective is we leveraged that platform to mobilize over 300 volunteers to lay 35 miles of wattles, a word I had never heard before 2017 Tubbs Fire. Um, but a wattle is basically a giant, what looks like a piece of spaghetti. It's a giant tube filled with straw, generally. Um, there are different types of filling. Um, but the idea is to stop um, polluted runoff from entering our waterways. So the fire was so enormous in 2017 and the rain season was just weeks behind it that there was no way we could get the toxics removed before the rains came. And there was serious threat of impacting waterways of runoff from burned cars, burned batteries, burned fridges, burned dryers and dishwashers. Um, so we were laying miles and miles and miles of these straw barriers to prevent that runoff from entering our waterway, um, particularly all of the tributaries that is the Russian River watershed, because that's also the source of water for 600,000 people in Sonoma County and Northern Marin. So it's really critical to make sure that 
the battery fluid from the fire didn't get into our waterway. Um, in that process, we also practiced with bioremediation um, and putting in mushroom spores to detoxify the water as it was going through the waddles. Um, so that was a really fun project to um, explore the potential of. And we also, in the theme of collaboration, were part of a watershed collaborative um, and were able to work with, um, through Daily Acts and Sonoma County Conservation Action, um, 20 plus other community and agency partners to put together a living and a fire adapted landscape plan and priorities for resilience on a landscape um, level of, of how to best restore and landscapes moving forward. An example of something that dealt with was the misinformation around how to navigate your trees um, that looked burned but were actually still alive. And we had a lot of issues in 2017 of people just clear cutting their forests because they thought they were dead because they didn't know how to check if the trees were alive. And that ended up becoming a larger problem for them down the road because they lost all of the biomass holding the soil in place and it increased risks of landslides, mudslides, and sedimentation entering our riverway in the years following um, the fire, which Southern California experienced immediately in the disastrous mudslides after their fire. Um, so keeping that vegetation is critical, but making sure that we educate landowners who have lots of land um, that they need to be patient and let the vegetation recover and not assume it's dead was one example of a priority that our environmental community raised as something we needed to um, step to first. Yeah, so that's kind of a, a, a snapshot of how our community in, in the grassroots community in particular responded um, in the sliver I was engaged with in, in the 2017 Tubbs fire. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of points of reflection too for the 2019 fires and the, the neurology behind the emotions of going through all of that. So I'm happy to pause if there's kind of a discussion or question at this point too. I just want to say that, you know, every time we hang out, Carrie, and we're talking, I'm just absolutely amazed at how you're able to detail and articulate the really truly the meta view that we need to begin holding. You know, it's pretty amazing, um, you know, an organization like Daily Acts and um, other organizations that come together to form these larger coalitions are really able to start understanding how it is that they fit together. Um, understanding that, you know, our social ecosystem and our environmental e ecosystems, um, all of the ways that they're so nuanced and intricately connected, you know, just knowing that it's going to take such a multifaceted approach and that we are learning every single year um, through there being disconnects in communication, disconnects in education, um, where it is that we have, you know, in many ways, actually, as a society, have failed to remain um, integrated. And it's just, I'm just absolutely amazed <laughs> thinking about, um, yeah, you know, everything that has been, it sounds like just such an extensively fast forwarded um, learning curve that um, an organization like Daily Acts has had to, you know, move through. And also just, you know, a county like Sonoma County and Marin County, other counties here in Northern California. It's just been so uh, full, full, like, full on. <laughs> um, 
And so, yeah, just appreciating that you were able to hold and share so much information um, just now. And yeah, curious, Kate, you know, if, if you want to jump in here. Yeah, I just wanted to express as well my appreciation for everything you just shared. I was totally floored <laughs> um, by the scope of what you did, what you all did. And I would love to learn how compassion played a role in sustaining those efforts. You know, compassion for self, compassion for community, because I can only imagine what was needed to be in this work. And I'd love to learn more about how you cultivated a sense of resilience and compassion throughout this process in service, as you were saying, of creating these catchment systems so that these downpours can be sustained throughout years of of hard work and showing up for uh, disaster again and again. Yeah, I I love that question. I love the title of the book. I am very excited to have a copy of the book in hand too when it's out. I think uh, you both really well articulated what's critical for long-term disaster resilience is that sense of compassion and the nuance of compassion for self and community, I think is, is really, really important. I was laughing when you asked that question because I would say in 2017, the compassion for community drove me so hard because you just, you can't stop once you're out there and you're actually seeing the realities on the ground and you're seeing the batteries next to a creek. You're just like, there's, there's no way you can't be in action. That said, I did not have compassion for myself at all. Um, I had some friends come up to volunteer and their contribution was actually grocery shopping for me and reminding me to eat because I put myself on not even the stove. The back burner didn't exist. I was so forgetful of self-care and compassion. Um, And I think that it's a segue into the 2017 to 2018 comparison because honestly, I recognized in 20, sorry, 2019, the Kincaid fire, that a number of the friends and allies that were on the front line, side by side, shoulder by shoulder in 2017, couldn't do it in the Kincaid fire. Um, We were still burned out because we hadn't been compassionate with ourselves. And we were a bit, at least speaking for myself, a bit tepid to just like jump in full force on day one because we'd learned, I had learned a lot in the years in between. And to Kalea's point, it's only two years. It's not like a long time. It's a very steep learning curve that we've learned, we've learned a lot. Um, so in, in the Kincaid fire, um, I saw the pattern that I had done reflected in friends who were sleeping two hours a night forgetting to eat, having their friends remind them to eat. And it was fascinating to see that pattern repeat. Um, And for myself, I chose intentionally two different approaches in the Kincaid fire. Um, The first was to hold more compassion for myself and step up and step in as much as possible um, and definitely go be, you know, be at an unsustainable pace because for the short term you need to, because in those days, every minute does count, but also doing it in a way that 
I ask for more help and not just be in the do and the go and the adrenaline and the cortisol fueled mode. And the second was to listen more. So in the tubs fire, I was in go mode. I was in do mode. I saw a problem. I figured out a solution and I made it happen in minutes. In the Kincaid fire, I wanted to be a bit more of a deep listener. Still, overall, it's a very short time frame of, you know, days and hours, but you can, in my experience, I could still pause to listen in how I responded. And so my personal choice of how I responded in 2019 was to be of support to the uh, non-English speaking community, primarily Latino, Latinx um, community. And that looked, it became, um, when asking what they needed, um, my friend Bernice Bere made it very clear that we needed translation and coordination of translation, translating and bilingual volunteers at the shelters. So I very intentionally reached out to my friends who are organizers in that space. They are members of that community. And I asked them what they needed first before jumping into action. And it evolved from there. So talking to Mara Ventura, who's the executive director of North Bay Jobs with Justice, and Bernice, who's an amazing member of our county um, and works in the legal space, um, and members of Corazon, Healdsburg, Latino service providers, Nuestra Comunidad, um, asking them what they needed and and helping channel resources towards them. Um, so they had collectively, a number of those organizations had created UndocuFund during the Tubbs fire, which collected resources, $6 million in total to support undocumented workers uh, affected by the Tubbs fire. And Luckily, that infrastructure was still there in Kincaid Fire so that they could, in 24 hours instead of many days, restart that fund, um, which they did, and were able to start collecting resources again for the undocumented workers. Um, And then another amazing need that Corazon ended up doing in partnership with UndocuFund and Nuestra Comunidad and uh, Latino service providers was providing on-the-ground support immediately to the Latinx community. So what that looked like was us as volunteers and bilingual volunteers going to the shelters and actually handing out cash on the spot to help people get home because they didn't have enough money to buy gas or talking to them about how much they had spent on their last grocery bill because the power was out, all that food was bad. So reimbursing them so they could buy food So that was really powerful, and I really held that space of compassion for that community by being in service and support to my friends who work in that community day in and day out. And that felt like an important switch for me. I was still very much in action, but I was being guided by our frontline community and Um, supporting them with my skill set of organization and networking and connecting the dots um, and letting them tell me what was most needed. I wanted to just say that listening to you, Carrie, right now and um, and just, you know, the larger share that you've been taking us through, 
a thread that is really I, I keep actually hearing coming up is one that is is about not what it like understanding like how is it that we can learn from what we just went through how is it that we can secure resources and have them be um, building upon an, an existing foundation not starting again and again from scratch really consistently asking you know self and community how was that experience you know what did we learn what worked what didn't mm -hmm. work how is it that we can you know as a part of our general preparedness be looking forward past just this experience um, just because I know that compared to the 2017 Tubbs fire because we've dealt with this three years in a row and this year you know we're dealing still with like these rolling power outages today being one of them in you know northern parts of our county in a, a, a county that's um, south of us just this the the big shift I think that we're going through collectively you know in this part of the world at the moment is this knowing that we're going to be dealing with this likely every single year and I'm just remembering myself back to 2018 that original the original conversation I shared about um, with Kate where she invited me into this project and so much of like the desire behind putting this book together came from this like big frustration that I was holding for, you know, a non-compassionate stance for myself, but also feeling really frustrated with uh, just how it seemed like, you know, as a community, we weren't, it didn't seem like we were really learning from what we had been through. You know, the year before my uh, Facebook spaces were posed with all these questions, you know, around you know, what kind of air purifier does one get? How do you stay safe and healthy? Um, you know, how do you, what's a, how do you check where are the resources for air quality? Like these, these details that really consume our society during these moments. And then it was, you know, a year later, the same questions. And even sensing in myself that somehow I had collected all this data and then just kind of let it fall away. Like I didn't, I didn't retain it. I wasn't actually preparing for the foundation. And realizing that it, it's going to be long term you know the the urgency the time is here and now and if we're not supporting ourselves and coming to that realization quicker we're going to continue to be um you know just not able to actually like retain the support that we put so much energy into around our responses and just wanting to name that a lot of the way that we oriented the book um, is really about this, you know, wanting to provide something for individuals and families and community members at large um, so that when these disasters happen, we don't have to look so far. We don't have to expend so much energy asking where to find the resources. Um, we can be working on it year round. So, yeah, just wanting to just say, like, the reflection is so important. A big part of the process after the fire this year was you know organically meeting up with friends or even during the power outages coming together when people a lot of um, a lot of our friends were um, evacuated and people didn't were in their homes for days and days and in those moments really having these big conversations around what did you do when you were evacuated at 4 a.m. what did you grab okay wait like now that you're here and this is all that you have with you in your vehicle like what else would you have added what do you wish you had done differently. And um, just realizing that those moments of reflection, these conversations of consistently assessing what what one did and how it, we can continue to build into something healthier 
is so crucial right now. Um, and I just, yeah, something I just really want to support all of our listeners out there in really starting to feel brave enough to think about in your own life, even if you your community hasn't gone through a crisis, um, starting to just assess like where you are situated geographically, what is going on for you, you know, politically, and um, yeah, how can we be building into something beyond, um, you know, just the initial crisis mode. And I, I think you definitely um, caught that um, that that learning community, the feedback loops, the reflection, the pausing um, is really critical. And I think it ties into the space of compassion for self as well, because I find personally and with some of the people I work with in community, it can be hard to stay in that spot um, and pause to reflect because it can be painful too and emotional and be reliving that trauma and stress. And so having the tools to hold compassion for self and be in that space and invite that space is really important for that reflection because it's it's easier in a way to brush it off, make it seem like it wasn't that big a deal and go back to business as normal because it's it's hard to, you know, even a few months later, go back and relive it. Um, which you have to do in a sense to be able to reflect and learn and discuss. So I think that compassion for self definitely is an important tool to create that space of reflection and also the space of celebration because I know that after the Tubbs fire, a number of the groups who worked together were like, we made it. (laughs) We need to get together and just be in community and not in a space of trauma and go and doing, but then things went back to business and we never got together. And the same thing happened with the county. They were trying to recognize exceptional community service and they were too busy to even put get it on the agenda because they were already logged with all the things that they needed to do. And I'm seeing that repeat with everybody who worked as the bilingual volunteers of wanting to do a celebration and just being in community, but we're already kind of dispersing back into our patterns. And I think the relationships that form in those moments of trauma and stress, holding and nurturing and continuing to to build those is really important because it can be easy to just disperse and pretend like it never really happened. Um, and then you're not preparing yourself for the next next time it comes around. And what I really love about what you both just shared is that they highlight the importance of seeing this work as a practice. It's something you return to day in and day out, right? Community is a practice. Cultivating compassion is a practice. And learning to live with disaster is a practice that you tend to throughout the year, even in the face of great risk and even when you're in relative safety. Yes, (laughs) community as practice is I'm yeah that just rang so true for me and I just you know I I think when we were in our research mode for this book we both were reading Rebecca Solnit and um you know specifically her book A Paradise Built in Hell and that was you know the messaging from that was just this resounding you know the paradise being the possibility of community and of people meeting on the streets and 
seeing each other in a vulnerable state and showing up and the reflection of these like immense crises also that there's like a, almost sometimes the yearning to remember each other back into community that happened in those moments um yeah like the true coming together and just yeah wanting to just recognize that crisis is so multifaceted disaster is multifaceted and we are going to need all of the language and all of the perspective shifting and reframe and um yeah just i think diverse perspectives brought in in order for us to really not just live through the times but be able to thrive through these times because we're just we're just at the beginning of so much of what is to come. Yeah, I I definitely resonate with that and the idea of the practice. Um, and there's a weird beauty that to me came out of the crisis of the new relationships and bonds and shared experiences that came from it, and also the clarity of purpose, because there's so much. In the day-to-day -day life, it's easy to spend time on that doesn't really matter. And in a crisis, it all falls away. And what you need to do for your community is crystal clear and you do it. And I think that that is a metaphor for where we are now in the terms of the climate crisis and global warming is we need to be in that compassionate space of crisis so that we're not burning ourselves out. Um, but that we're being in community, but that we do treat this as the crisis it is um, and that we can't buy our way out of this. We need to build community. And luckily, there's a role for every single person in that change that's needed. I think that's so beautiful, Carrie, and, and so resonant with what I think all of our listeners are, are needing right now and looking for. Um, so I want to thank you both so much uh, for sharing today. Is there anything else, Kalea or Carrie, that you want to share before we close um, that you think might be of service to our listeners? Just strongly want to echo Carrie's last point on there being a place for every person in this moment of large transition and transformation and calling in all of the deep inquiry that is going to be so necessary for each of us on an individual level to understand what that place and what that contribution is and wanting to honor each of your contributions um, in the different and diverse ways that they look and the different roles that we are each holding um, wanting to just like recognize that we each have our own offering and that is probably one of the most beautiful things. Yeah, I would second that um, and encourage and give space for the compassion at all scales and remembering that that starts with compassion for self um, and that we can't give to anyone anything we don't give to ourselves. So if we don't offer ourselves that compassion, we can't be in a space of deep compassion for others. So in order to model the future that we want to create, um, 
we need to model it at every level. Um, so giving permission and encouragement for self-compassion um, and gratitude to both of you and the Loam community for helping create um, a better future. Thank you again so much, Carrie and Kailea, for being in this conversation. I feel so energized and inspired right now and so excited for you all to check out Compassion in Crisis and be in this conversation with us as well um, and know that as Kyle and Carrie shared, there is a place for you in this movement and that all of us have work to do and that work can be uh, possible wherever we are and however we are. So thank you again so much uh, for tuning in and Thank you again to Kyle and Carrie for sharing your story so beautifully and for being such models of a better world. Thank you, Kate. Thank you so much, Kate.